All right, guys, thank you for joining me on another episode of the Corporate Quitters podcast. Today's guest is a phenomenal and fascinating young man. At an early age, he's already achieved a lot. He's about to graduate from college, yet he's already published his first book. He's already had quite a few public speaking gigs under his belt, and he is starting what he calls his dream job at one of the largest public accounting firms in the world. I think that's about all I can say. Let's just roll it. This is a good one that you don't want to miss. All right, folks, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Corporate Quitters Podcast. Today we have with us Teron Reagan. Teron, tell the people who you are and what are you doing to make the world a better place? My name is Teron Reagan. Uh, I'm currently a senior and I'm about to graduate in about two weeks from Kennesaw State University. Um, I'm overall an energetic, ambitious young man, and my hope is to inspire the people around me to know that they can become a better version of themselves. And it's all, everything that they need is already on the inside. And I'm just here to help them bring it out. Now, look, guys, let me tell you guys, Teron, he's being real modest because um, what he said is definitely 100% true, but he said that he's a student about to graduate. Teron is a whole lot more than a student. Teron is a student who's written a book that will be released right before he graduates from college. Teron also has a job lined up with a nice, large international accounting firm. So Teron has a lot of good stuff going on. Um, and, and like I said, he's being real modest, but, but that's okay. So let's, let's get into Teron's story and figure out how did he become this man that you see in front of us today. So Teron, tell me before we go down that road and go backwards, tell everyone in college, what did you major in? So I had a few majors actually, and you know, it came with just figuring out who I was and what path I needed to be on. My first major was business management. And I picked that because I knew I've always been a lover of business. I've always enjoyed learning about business and just being around business. So it made sense. But in the midst of my confusion, I decided to switch to psychology. I didn't switch to it to try to go into a psychology job. I switched to it. And when people would ask me, why did you choose psychology? I would say, because if I can learn how people think, I can apply it in business. So even in, when we, even in me switching to psychology for a major, um, I was still trying to apply it to business. So I realized that I needed to go back into business and I was taking my second accounting course, managerial accounting, and I related to my professor in so many ways. We would always have conversations after class and she'd give me advice uh, about things. And she was talking to me about accounting and she was telling me that accounting was the language of business and being able to understand accounting, it will help you to be able to understand business is so much easier, which is why I chose accounting. So now this is extremely important to consider because if you listen to Tehran's story, he started off on one path and he realized, well, maybe this is not the path that I want to be on. And he was not afraid 
to just shift. But in the middle of shifting, he consulted people who could give him some good advice. So what I'd say to anyone that's out there that's thinking about something, you feel like you're on the wrong path right now, it's okay to change. Because did you have anybody like ridicule you or say something odd when you decided you wanted to switch? Oh, absolutely. There was this one guy, he would always say, well, why don't you just pick one thing and just stay with it for 10 years? And I would always tell him, well, you should be able to quickly identify if something worked for you or not. And I got that piece of advice. Uh, just like you said, I always seek counsel. I got that piece of advice uh, from a person who was in business. I was asking him, do you think that there's a point where you should you know, stop a business? Because I had a business at the time and I was thinking about ending the business. And he said that one of the biggest flaws of new entrepreneurs is they fail to realize when it's time to move on from their startup. And so I adopted that mentality in my own life. And I am a firm believer in that in order to figure out what path you need to be on, you each one of them, you know, with all of the work ethic that you can, you can put into it. And so in me trying different things, that's how I ended up getting to it. And so that person who would always take, they would always say, why don't you just pick one thing and stay with it for, you know, 10 years or, um, and see how it plays out. I would tell them today, the way that you find your path is to try different things and to seek the counsel along the way. Now, you just said something else that's very important. I don't know if everybody else picked up on that, but you are about to graduate from college and you've already had at least one business. Now, what was that business? So, I've had a, a few um, up until this point, and yeah. but my most successful one, it was a, I actually got it to where it was a five-figure business when I was in 10th grade. What I would do uh, was I would go to eBay and other websites that are similar. Uh, Facebook um, has like this groups feature where a lot of people create groups uh, for like sneaker trading and I would go and buy old Nikes and Air Jordans. And um, you have to be kind of good at spotting the ones that if you just knock some dust off of them, it'll increase the value of them beyond what the person is selling them for. So essentially, I would just buy shoes that just needed a little TLC, clean them up, and then sell them for double or triple what I paid for them. And then I ended up um, trying to look at different ways that I could expand on my business and so I started actually offering repair services because I was technically already doing it for the ones that I was selling so I started learning how to paint the shoes and how to reattach the sole of the shoes and just trying to add more I guess business units to my <laughs> my primary business and uh, making sure that they all had synergy and you know I was able to make that business make me over ten thousand dollars when I was a junior in high school nice yeah so so it, it is all about identifying customer needs and then identifying opportunities for growth and expansion because to go from uh um uh basically being a sneakerhead right buying sneakers and selling them to yeah. rehabbing and repairing them at the same time that takes some vision and all while in high school so look this there's a whole lot more that you have done and are doing but but let's let's just put a pause in that for one moment, because this stuff sounds great. You're on a great career path on a great trajectory. 
but it didn't start like that. There, there's, there obviously had to be some bumps in the road, some lessons learned, and some good stuff to take you there along the way. So how did it all start for Tehran? Man, so I was just talking about this uh, the other day, and, you know, my family, we didn't have a lot of money. We struggled for most of my childhood. Um, there were times where one house that we lived in specifically, just to kind of put it all into perspective. So it was about eight of us living in the house and the house was a three bedroom house. And we had to convert the dining room into a bedroom mm. uh, for my sister and my cousin. In the room that my brother and I stayed in, the ceiling actually fell, that fell in on top of the bunk bed that we, my brother slept on, um, which was the top bunk. Um, the living room didn't have a light in it. The house had those old heaters that were built into the wall that you had to turn the knob. Oh, yeah, the radiator heater. Yep, we had those. And our air conditioning was the big air conditioners that you had to stick in into the window. And so, you know, that kind of gives you perspective of a lot of the challenges that um, I had to overcome. But I was the thing that I said I was talking about the other day was something that was foundational to building my character and who I am today. And I just realized the other day was when my grandmother was here and she was working at Fort Valley State and she had the same job for about 40 years. She started off picking weeds out of the cotton field and she wasn't picking the cotton, but she was picking the weeds out of um, the plants. And she eventually, I think she said she was work making like $3.50 an hour starting out. She eventually worked her way up until um, she got to a point where she actually got hired onto a full-time job. And um, a few years after I came along and as a kid, I remember being four and five years old, excited to go to work with her um, on the weekends. And I would be so disappointed when I couldn't go. And she would have, she would have me, she worked in the animal science department. And so there, she worked with goats. And so she would have me help her feed the goats, clean the uh, the pens that they were in. She helped. She had me help her milk the goats and feed the kids. And you know, I was doing that when I was about four or five, and it lasted all the way until I was about ten years old. And so, you know, I had been working since I was four years old, but it was fun to me. So it didn't feel yeah. like it was. It was very character building, and you know, I really attribute that to be one of the big things that has made me who I am today. So now here, here's the big question. Did she pay you a little bit of money for the work that you were doing? She always bought me breakfast. So I guess that was payment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think when you, when you instill those values in kids, when they're young, um, it does create a good work ethic. Um, Cause I, I tell the story a lot about, I would spend summers at my uh, grandparents and my grandmother would make me get up early in the morning. And, uh, or when I got there early in the morning, she would have me go out and um, pick the corn, shuck the peas, do all kinds of stuff because there was work that needed to be done to get the house up and running because um, there was, I remember at one point we had to go and get water from a pump because there was no indoor plumbing in the house and stuff like that. So there was a lot of prep work that you had to do. So I was accustomed to just always working for what it was that you wanted and needed. So you said between the ages of four 
and 10. So right about now, you should be ready to retire. Because, I mean, you got about 20. <laughs> you got about 20 years in. I wish, man, but. Uh... <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm, let me let me get my serious face back on. But uh, but no, I mean, after 20 years, that's what a lot of people used to do back in the day was retire. And so so now you grew up in this in this area where the home was obviously needing some repair um, and you had some some siblings as well as some other family members in there. So what was that experience like emotionally, though? Was it still was it at least a home filled with love or, or how did you guys love on one another and show that you care for one another in that environment? Oh, absolutely. And um, one of the things that I always say about my family was we were rich in everything but finances. And, you know, we didn't have money, but we definitely had love and support. And, you know, we didn't let our lack of money define us and make us, you know, work against each other. So that was, I mean, it's definitely a loving home, you know, supportive uh, family members, siblings, my mother, my grandmother, they've always been my biggest supporters. And um, quite frankly, a lot of days when I feel like I don't want to keep going, I just think about my family and, you know, that pushes me to keep going. So that's, uh, that's, that's how we've been able to lift each other up and, you know, kind of climb out of our situation. So what's your, uh, what's your fondest childhood memory? I would say as of late, really just going to work with my, my grandmama. And I say that because it was so fun. And my favorite part was it wasn't milking the goats. I didn't like that part, but I helped with it. And, but my favorite part was when we get the bottles of milk and the kids, the little goats, my favorite part was feeding them. So that's probably one of my favorite childhood memories. So let me tell you. So when I was young, I had to clean the pig pen. Now, how in the world, how do you clean a pig pen, right? It, it's a pig pen. It's supposed to be muddy and dirty, it, but yeah. So I 100% get where you're going there. So now, a, as you were growing up in this house filled with love, again, like you said, rich in love, but poor in finances, which I think if I had to choose, I would probably choose the rich in love too, because how many rich people do you see that are just sad? Um, what did you all, did you all, what did you all do to make it out of the financial situation or did you make it out of the financial situation? So, uh, honestly, we struggled a lot until, um, up until recent years, but I ended up going to college, um, at Kennesaw after, you know, getting through high school and, and we pretty much struggled through high school. And I remember there were times where I would be, and I played football in high school. And I remember there were times, there would be times where I would be in the film room. Um, and I played defense. So we'd be in the defensive film room, watching film, um, after practice or, you know, watching film for our, our opponents that week. And I would be in the film room, and I wouldn't necessarily be focused on the film because I would be on my phone trying to help pay a bill. And I was able to do that. And I was happy to do that as a result of me having my sneaker business. So um, those situations really motivated me in that sneaker business to be able to help to provide the support. I remember a couple of times uh, having to 
give money to help with food and to help with the necessities like the utility bill. And I would say the change really happened when I came, when I went to Kennesaw State and my mother, she tells me this to this day. She says that by me leaving home, it inspired her to know that she could do the same thing and to build a better life for herself. And so about three years after I came to Kennesaw, she ended up landing a job at the IRS and it was the highest paying job she's ever gotten. And she moved to Atlanta. And um, I would say it was about that time when things really changed for her. And um, for me, it was about the spring of no, fall of 2018, I got a job working at um, a uh, warehouse called Atlanta Bonded Warehouse, and I was a forklift operator. And that was the most money I'd ever made. I had gone through all of my struggles in college, you know, homelessness, um, not having a, a place to stay other than my car sometimes, sleeping on floors and couches, wherever I could find a place to go, um, and a whole lot of other challenges that I had to overcome. And throughout those challenges, I never understood financial literacy. And so I kind of started to teach myself financial literacy because, okay, I had the, I had the job coming up and I knew I didn't want to go back to my situation of not having a place to stay, but having to be in Kennesaw so that I can continue on my mission of graduating from school. And so here I was again in a place where I have opportunity and I don't want to mess it up because I want to get out of my situation. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier about seeking um, guidance. And that's one of my biggest principles, wise man or woman seeks wise counsel. And so I always try to seek counsel, but I always try to act in a way that I still feel is best. Um, so I seek counsel about the financial literacy aspect. And that was about July of 2018, I was set to start the job on August the 6th, and I uh, spoke to a mentor who's still a mentor to this day, and he taught me about budgeting, and um, that was like really when things turned around, because I was about to have the money coming in, but if I didn't learn about budgeting, I wouldn't have known where the money was going, and so yeah. from, then, from then on, things really changed for me financially, um, you know, as a result of getting better opportunities, but to also bring in that financial literacy piece as well. All right. So let's, let's go back to, let's go back to high school. So in high school, you were playing football, but you had a, you had a lot of what I would call adult responsibilities. You were playing football, you had a sneaker business, but the sneaker business wasn't just for weekend, go out with the girls and the guys money. The, 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 the sneaker business was, hey, we all have to pool our money together so that we can continue to have a place to live. Um, but I think it's still important to, to really hit home on the point of because you guys had a supportive environment, you guys were able to overcome a whole lot. So like with the house, were you guys able to work together to get it fixed up to where it was more livable? Well, Basically, uh, we ended up moving to a completely different house after a while. And um, my grandmother, she actually, like I said, she was working the same job for um, you know, over 40, 40 plus years. And um, she ended up getting to the point where 
she was like, we just got to move. And so from then, um, her and my mother, they worked together and, you know, they found a better place for us. And I'm sure they made sacrifices that I probably don't know about to this day. But we ended up moving to another house. Um, and that was about ninth, my ninth grade year. And um, that's kind of when things changed. But I don't know the full details on that part, but I'm pretty sure my my mother and my grandmother, they they made some sacrifices. And so was everybody required to chip into the house? No, nah, we didn't. We all didn't have to chip in. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the ones that had jobs. Huh? And yep. <laughs> you, <laughs> so you were paying rent at the age of 10. <laughs> uh, look, luckily, man, they didn't they didn't see they didn't require me to you know, make payments and stuff like that. It was kind of like a personal motivation for me because I would see my mother and my grandmother struggling to, you know, provide this life for us. They didn't require me to give them anything. They would struggle and make the sacrifices and go without for us, but I couldn't stand to see it. And so when I was able to build my business, you know, I thought it was my duty to step up because there were there were no men in the house. I thought it was my duty to step up, you know, even though I was a kid and try to fill the role of man in the house. And they didn't require me to, you know, make payments because they wanted me to build a successful life for myself. They wanted me to have money for myself. But I knew that if, you know, we needed to pay the utility bill or we needed some food on the table. If I was making money in my business, I would make the sacrifice that, you know, they were making so that we would all be in a better place. Yeah. And that just makes sense because, I mean, realistically, it takes a village and, and really to make the world go round, it takes people working together. Because I'm guessing that you probably never went hungry a night, but your mother and or grandmother probably did on some nights so that you could be fed. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. And as a kid, you saw that and tuned into that and, and did what you could do, which, quite frankly, honestly, was a lot because you said you made over ten thousand dollars during high school in one business. I mean, there, there are kids who have jobs at fast food restaurants that don't make ten thousand dollars in one year. And you literally bootstrapped and did it on your own. You didn't rely on anybody else. That to me, that in and of itself is amazing. And so. Now, you graduate from high school and you know you want to go to college. So how did you how did you get into college? Like, what did it take for you to fund college, too? Because, you know, you guys were poor. So how did you pay for college? So that's a funny story. So, uh, you know, I went through the college. Well, let me back up for a second. So I had a special needs brother. Um, named Deshaun, and he demanded a lot of my mother's attention. And so, um, and we actually helped to, you know, take care of him. And, you know, that was a job in and of itself. And so, um, as far as my college experience, I kind of had to navigate that arena myself. I had taken dual enrollment classes in um, high school, and I think I had like 15 credits going into college. So I knew I was going to college. And um, I just didn't know where. And so I was at applied to college day at my school and I was talking to one of our counselors named Miss Thomas. Um, and everybody loves Miss Thomas. And she told me, she says, apply to college day, go and apply to college. And so she kind of gave me the push to go and apply. And I went, I applied to a few schools 
And, you know, when I was considering schools, I wanted to go to a school where I would get a good education, but I also had to consider the financial aspect. Mm -hmm. And Kennesaw checked both of those boxes for me. But um, as far as how I got through the process of, you know, financial aid and doing the application, you know, it was, again, um, one of those processes of just learning by doing. And I, I just did it and, you know, I uh, taught myself as I went along the way. And one of the biggest things that I would do is if I got to a point where I was stuck, I would always make a phone call to whoever I needed to talk to at the school to so that they can teach me what I needed to know to make sure that all my um, I's were dotted and my T's were crossed. And um, as far as the funding, I ended up, you know, getting the Pell Grant and had to use some student loans. But one thing that I didn't realize on the first day when I came to campus, I was, you know, ready to move in and had my book bag on, had my suitcase, my clothes. And I didn't realize this was the one thing I missed. I didn't realize I would have to pay my rent on that first day. Ooh. Well, luckily, I had the support of my grandmother and she wanted me to see me succeed, you know, no matter what. And she actually ended up giving me her last 400 and something dollars to pay my rent. And we, none of us knew that, you know, I would have to pay my rent. And, you know, she made, there, there was, again, she made a sacrifice and to, to help push me further. And so that was kind of my experience of, you know, applying to college and getting my uh, funds in order to continue to pay for college. But that wasn't the last time you had issues with with rent, though, right? You were telling me a story about one time the money just wasn't there and you had to take some drastic measures while in school to find a place to stay. Yep. So uh, that experience happened in the spring of 2017. I was working at um, Panda Express um, and I was working like 30 hours a week. I was making nine dollars an hour and my rent was, I think it was like six eighty nine at that that point. Well, previously I had a kind of had a good hold on my rent, and you know I was paying it, and I was actually down to the last three months of my lease when I started to get behind. And um, what happened was my grandmother, she was buying a car, she sacrificed again, she. Uh, allowed me to use her car while I was in school and she lived in Fort Valley two two and a half hours away I'd go and see her just about every weekend and um so the car ended up getting repossessed in the front of my complex in front of other students while they were getting on the bus and you know that was one of those humbling moments that you just never forget um and so I didn't have a car well a few months later I ended up getting to the point where I could get a car. Well, I got a 2006 Ford Mustang. It was all blue and I loved it. I love how it looked, I love how it sounded, but it wasn't the smartest decision for me to make financially. I got into a position where I felt like I needed a car, but I, if I could go back, I'd tell myself not to get that car. I'd get one that was much cheaper. And so what ended up happening was my bills um, and I, like I said, I didn't know about budgeting. I didn't know about financial literacy or anything at this point. And so here I was just moving through life, learning by doing. 
And I got to the point where I was behind on my rent by like $900. And um, no, I'm sorry. I had 900 in my pocket. I was, I owed 1500. So I was behind $600. And uh, I tried to make the $900 payment, but they wouldn't accept the partial payment. And we had to go through with the um, eviction. So I was 19. I got evicted in May of 2017. And, um, you know, that was another humbling experience. But those two experiences really motivated me to never get to that point again. Um, so that's that's pretty much how the the other rent um, situation happened. So now you were evicted from your home. You had a car that was too expensive for you. And I think at this point you also discovered that you had a very bad credit score, too. Yep. And so now you have no place to stay. So what do you and you're in college trying to finish up school, too. So or trying to get through school. So now where did you end up living? How did you make it? Because you need a place to stay because you need to stay in school. And so just a bit of backstory about the credit. So my credit um, ended up going downhill because when I had all those bills on me, I got a credit card from Walmart and I was using that credit card to buy food. And mainly what I ate at the time was oatmeal and eggs. Um, and eventually the credit card defaulted so my credit went downhill, but, you know, I was confused for a while, um, but some good things started to happen and they kind of sparked some momentum. Well, I lost about 60 pounds, um, as a result of me having to eat. Well, yeah, oatmeal and, eggs and, eating. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I ended up having to move back to my mother's house. I still had a job. Um, I worked that job and I actually ended up coming into some more hardships and I haven't really spoke about this one that much, but this was one of the scariest moments of my life where I had lost so much weight so quickly that my legs would lock up at times and my lower spine was um, compressed and I went to the chiropractor and I remember it to this day, it was one of the scariest moments of my life. He told me, it looks like you've been hit in the back by a tractor trailer truck. And there were times where I would wake up in the morning and my right leg would just be locked in a bent position and I couldn't unbend it. Um, and so at one point, you know, I thought I was gonna lose my ability to walk and I had chronic back pain. I couldn't sit up for, for very long. And so the challenges actually kept coming before I had to figure out where I was going to live because I still had my car because I, I sacrificed my rent because I said I need to stay in school. So if I can keep the car versus keeping the place, I can still commute to school. Mm -hmm. So I was still commuting to school um, up until the point where I ended up it was rainy at night and I ended up crashing my car into a cement wall and you can still go to that same wall to this day and see the paint smeared on the wall from when I crashed about three years ago, over three years ago now. And um, basically that was the point where I had to say, okay, where am I going to live? And I remember sitting in a dark room in, in my mother's house and um I didn't say dark for it to be dramatic. It was literally dark, <laughs> but uh, the TV was off, the lights was off, and, and I was just sitting there thinking, and 
the only the only solution that came to my mind was to ask my mother if she could just drop me off in Kennesaw and I figured out from there and I packed up a suitcase I packed up my books and we went to Kennesaw she dropped me off and I had to call on some people to ask them hey do you mind if I uh, stay at your house and again these were some more humbling situations where so wait let me get this straight you had no place to live you didn't have a car at this moment because yeah because you had wrecked your car and you were living with your mom and you just said to her i've got to finish school because this is my top priority just take me back to kennesaw state drop me off and i'll figure the rest of life out exactly and you know i always tell people I didn't have to be homeless. I chose it because it was a requirement for me to get to the next level on the path that I was on. You know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to go up there and stay. I didn't have to do that, but that would have been the easy way out. If I had to stayed at home, I probably wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I probably wouldn't have written a book right now. My life would be completely different. So, you know, that was a lesson for me that a lot of times you may not have to endure a situation, but being able to kind of just attack it head on will help you to elevate to that next level. Yeah, sometimes you endure through one painful event to get you to the next joyful event. You know, a lot of people avoid pain, you know, well, I'm just going to stay here because it's convenient. But, I and I hear a lot of tales of people who, uh, well, hell, I had the experience myself of just having a car and a suitcase, right? right? And you do what you have to do for a short period of time to get to where you want to go. You make that sacrifice. And I think, too, you saw sacrifice in your home. So you knew what it looked like and you knew that it was only temporary, right? It's not a permanent condition. You're in a condition now, but you have a, another goal that you're trying to reach. I think something that I could do is teach students how to land their dream job. Because, you know, not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Some people want to, to, you know, work until they're 65 at the job and retire with their pension. They want that lifestyle. And, like, I get a lot of them asking me, you know, what what did you do to get the job um, offered from Deloitte? And just asking me all kind of questions. Man, you will not believe how my LinkedIn has been blowing up for past nine, eight, nine months, all kind of people reaching out to me and, you know, um, asking me questions about me, asking me questions about how did I do this? Why did I do that? Um, I even have people asking me, what are your goals? Um, so, you know, how, how to land your dream job. That's one of the keynotes that I put on my website. All right. So let's talk about this. I'm getting in show mode. because I'm going to clip that and put that in. So let's talk about this as a student. How would you what what are what are what are a couple of tips that you would give students on how to land their dream job? Because see, you've landed your dream job and you went about it strategically. I know we've talked about this. You did some things that were purposefully done. So how would you land your dream job? I would say the biggest thing is uh definitely the networking piece. And I say that that's truly what you know, open the door for me. And, you know, within the networking, I networked and I never asked for anything. Whenever I met somebody new, I'll, and specifically my mentor to help me 
get in with Deloitte, um, the first thing I asked him was, how can I help you? And so that was really what opened the door to, you know, us building a relationship because I didn't start off asking for anything. And quite frankly, I never even asked for the recommendation to Deloitte. But with me coming in and with the mindset that I just want to provide him value and seeing what I can do for him, he automatically started doing the same thing in return. And eventually he told me, he said, I want to see you working for the big four. And that's kind of how I ended up getting a recommendation to work at Deloitte. And, you know, the rest was history. Another thing I would say is I was working at Best Buy and this was probably one of the best tips that I ever got in my life. So um, I was working in the warehouse in, in inventory and, you know, it wasn't an easy job. I was constantly on go, unloading trucks. Um, and I mean, it was crazy. But I was on the floor one time and customers, you know, they'll catch me on the floor, even though I'm not a salesperson, they'll catch me and, you know, still ask me questions. And I'm a people person, so I still talk to them, even though I'm not a salesperson, and I try my best to help them. And I was talking to this one guy about drones because he, he had come in to try and buy a drone. I didn't necessarily know a, a lot about the drones, but somehow we got off into a side conversation and, you know, we started talking about uh, life and business and success. And um, we ended up talking about each other and telling our story. And after I told him my story, he ended up telling me that my story was my selling point and it was what made me authentic and that I should share my story more and not be afraid to do it and not be afraid for people to look at me a certain way because that's really how I would be able to sell myself. And so from that point forward, I really became intentional about actually sharing my story. And when I started sharing my story, the, the world opened up for me. So I'd say those are two things that I did that were intentional and critical for a student um, that I recommend for a student to do in order to land their dream job. All right. So you found mentors and you begin to share your story. But let, let's take a step back. How did you find mentors? Because a lot of people don't know how to go about finding a mentor. Oh, everything in life is, I mean, selling. So in selling whatever product it is that you're trying to sell, you, you have to prospect, and you have to go out and you have to find your customers. Well, in this case, I was selling myself. And so and finding mentors, I just reached out to people on LinkedIn and I would ask them a simple career question. And sometimes they answer, sometimes they don't. But the more people you reach out to, you will find the ones who are eager to help and eager to, you know, be a mentor. And of course, you know, you want to take a targeted approach and focus on the ones that, you know, if you look down the LinkedIn profile and you see some things that they've done and you say, you know, I, that's kind of the path that I want to go on. Those are, that will be your target market, for instance. And so that's pretty much the approach that I took um, to start gaining mentors. So could you have done it without LinkedIn? Without LinkedIn? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, I would say that because in this past fall, fall 2020, I was taking my internal auditing uh, course and my professor, Fred Massey, he became a mentor for me. And the way that he became a mentor for me is because after class, 
I would stick around and talk to him. And after staying around after class every day and just talking to him and asking him questions, getting to know him and him getting to know me, you know, eventually we kind of developed that mentor mentee kind of relationship. And uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say I could have done it without LinkedIn and have done it without LinkedIn. That's how I recommend to do it. Just ask people questions that are in your circle and that, you know, you, you might look at them and say, I want to be where you are. Sometimes all it takes is a question. And so, okay. So find mentors, be deliberate and specific about who you target and who you want to be mentors. And you said, don't go asking them for anything, figure out how you can help them and make it a reciprocal relationship. And, um, just lost my train of thought there because find mentors. Oh, and share your story. All right. So now in sharing your story, how did you get up the courage to just do it? Man, that's a question that I, I don't know the answer to to this day. And I say that because I've typically, I was a shy person in high school and middle school. I didn't really talk a lot. I had my friends that, you know, they knew me very well. And, you know, it was a very select few um, amount of people. But I'd say just based on my experience and me thinking about it, I would say that just trying it is, I guess, a cliche way to teach it, but one that I feel everybody will understand. It's like a man talking to women. You know, you'll be scared the first time you try but then after you try it that first time, then you go back and try it a second time, then the jitters, they kind of go away. And I think that's the approach that I took because I was nervous um, when I really started networking initially. And um, I, was, I would bring up my UPS internship in the summer of 2020, where I networked with so many people. And I got to the point where I had so many meetings lined up on my calendar, but I did it on purpose because once I committed to those meetings, I couldn't back out because if I backed out, then I would look bad. But I knew I was nervous about doing it. And I knew it was a good thing that I was nervous because by me doing it, I would end up um, getting over that nervousness after I put myself in that position um, so many times over. So I'd say just it, it it's not easy, but it sounds easy. I say just do it. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, just knowing your story, it is one that has a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs. And we talked earlier about, you know, just being poor, not knowing what you're going to eat sometimes. And then going back to college without a without a real plan, except for the big plan. And that's finishing college. But you didn't know where you were going to live, what you were going to eat, you know, how you were going to get around because you didn't have a car. You had a suitcase and that's it. <laughs> you know, so to tell that story and to possibly risk people either doing one of three things, right? Either A, judging you and saying that you shouldn't have done that or B, pitying you and feeling sorry for you or C, just kind of being supportive cheerleaders, right? that's a huge risk because you never know how people are going to react. So that takes a lot of bravery, but I do like and understand what you said, put it on the calendar. Now you committed to it. 
Because now if you break something that's on your calendar, your reputation is at risk. And sometimes your reputation, the pride in having a good reputation is more uh, valuable to you than the feeling of being, you know, judged or the fear of being judged, right? So that that makes a whole lot of sense. Now, oh, go a ahead. Quote that, a quote that comes to my mind when you were just saying that was, you know, it can take years to build your reputation, but you can tear it down in a few seconds. And when you tear it down, it can be so hard to rebuild it. Yep. Absolutely right. Now, let's talk about the, the UPS internship, because that was a, a huge turning point for you. Because um, while at UPS, I think you met a couple people that were influential and got you started doing some things that you're doing now. So talk about that UPS uh, internship. Yeah, man. So um, I interviewed for it in the fall of 2019. And, um, you know, this this was my second internship offer in two months. And both of these offers came on the back of 50 plus rejections. And so um, I did the Tidwell Group internship in the spring of 2020. And then I came into my UPS internship. And um, basically, I made a post about it on LinkedIn that I had accepted the internship. And I shared a little bit of my story in that post. And uh, I had someone um, comment on my post and say, reach out to me when you start your internship. And I said, I will. And so when I started my internship, I reached out to her and she was impressed because she said most people won't actually follow through with what they say. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the big things that I try to do. If I tell you I'm going to do something, try to get it done to the best of my ability, unless something absolutely comes up that stops me. And so I reached out to her and then we started to build that mentor um, mentee kind of relationship. And um, we, we would meet like once a week on Thursdays and we talked and um, I think that this really like got me started networking heavily and this was when I just every person that I could talk to I talked to them and I started to get comfortable with it and then after a while with me and my initial mentor getting to know each other and me sharing my story with her she asked me if she um, put together an event um, for me to speak and share my story, would I be willing to do it? And, you know, I thought back to my childhood where I would be listening to Eric Thomas, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, people like that, you know, to get my own motivation. And I always looked up to them and I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I was excited about it. And so when the event came, um, there was actually 77 people at the first event. Wait, that and was your first uh, public speech? Yep, my first, hmm. my first, I guess, corporate public speaking engagement, because I, yeah. I, I, I thought about it, and I've actually been speaking since I was in high school. My first one was in the 10th grade at Fort Valley State University, but back to UPS. So my first one, when I actually started taking it seriously, was at UPS, and it was 77 people, and it was the, it was sent out to the entire internal audit ethics and compliance department. So the speech was given to them. And um, man, from there, um, I had several people watching it and um, the director of compliance at UPS was actually in attendance. And he asked me, would I give another speech to the African-American business resource group? Well, 
there's at least a thousand people in that group. And so we set up another speaking engagement for me to speak to them about changing your perspective. And we marketed it, sent out the flyer. And eventually um, that event was maybe three weeks later and it was 125 people that showed up to that one. And of those 125 people, I had the global leader of the financial planning and analysis department. He reports directly to the CFO. He was there. He became a mentor for me. Um, the vice president of finance was there and a couple of other people in that same arena was there. And like my name started to get around at that point. And then I had invited my now mentor, Bill, to that speech. And from that one, the rest of them started to happen. So that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. And what's interesting about that story is um, networking, knowing the right people and sharing your story. The the two points you just gave us led to a whole lot of opportunity for you. But it doesn't stop there because you wrote a book and those two points are only just two points out of how many in the book? Nine? Yep. Yeah. So so let's talk about the book for a minute. What is the title? When is it going to be released? What is the premise behind the book? Tell us all about the book. So the name of the book is Mindset Shift. And Mindset Shift gives you nine transformational principles to help you become an unstoppable leader in business and in life. And I, I said unstoppable intentionally. And I say that because, you know, I've had to overcome so many challenges to the point where when I get a new challenge, it's like, you know, hey, it's just another challenge at this point. I don't get that big feeling that I used to get when something tough is in front of me and, you know, I get overwhelmed and, you know, it's just like, yeah, okay, it's another one. Let's go ahead and get it done. And the book has the nine principles. I would say um, the premise behind the book, though, Um, I wanted to take some of the most valuable lessons that I've learned and turn them into principles and kind of use them to reshape the way that my readers think about certain things. Let me give you an example. So when I was about 21 years old, I was living on my own. I had just moved out of the hotel that I was living in, got myself my... um, apartment at U-Point, and um, I bought myself a 2001 Honda Accord. I paid like $2,000 cash for it. Well, I didn't feel like I was successful, and I was talking to who, he'll be my father-in-law soon, a couple weeks, but um, I was talking to him, and I was telling him, I was like, man, I just want to be successful, and this was the first time I had ever heard somebody tell me this. He was like, so, Teron, are you, uh, you living on your own? I was like, yeah. He said, uh, are you taking care of yourself? I was like, yeah. He said, uh, you have a job? I was like, yeah. He said, are you doing you know, what you're supposed to do in school? I was like, yeah. And he kept going and he kept going like that and reminded me of all of the ways that I was already successful. And you know, that kind of took me from chasing success to being a success right where I was. And that's so powerful because if you feel like you aren't a success yet, you'll act like that. But if you feel like you are a success, you will act like that also. 
And so I feel like success attracts more success. And so when I start stop thinking that I wanted to become successful and that I was already successful in so many ways, I mean, that just changed a lot in my life. So it's principles like that. And that's one of the principles in the book, but it's principles like that, that I wanted to share with people that I learned along the way and that I feel like were really, really transform the way that they think about themselves and it will help them to carry themselves like that unstoppable leader in business and in life. And the book will be releasing on my on May 7th when I'm set to give my next speech. So now where can we find the book? Well, the book is currently on uh, Amazon.com, but I would suggest going to my website, TaronReagan.com, T-A-R-O-N-R-A-G-A-N.com. And um, you can scroll down on the homepage and hit the order now book and it'll take you directly to uh, where you can purchase it. Or you can go to the books tab, hit the order now book, and it'll take you directly to where you need to go to purchase it. And you guys, we are going to have links to everything that is Tehran. Tehran is on uh, YouTube, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and I think Twitter. You on Twitter? Yep. Yeah, Twitter too. So he is everywhere that there is social media. The book is coming out May 7th. The book is Mindset Shift. You just heard, actually you heard three principles. I was about to say two. Initially you heard two really powerful principles and then we heard a third piece of the book. There are nine life-changing powerful principles in this book. You get to hear Tehran, Tehran's story and how he basically enhanced his life um, and, and using these principles that are probably timeless because, you know, I, I think almost anyone will be able to relate to them and or learn from them. So let me ask you any last words for the audience. Yep. So uh, I give one more one more principle away as a teaser. So this one, I believe, is the most foundational one. And I want you to just, if you're listening, if you're watching this, I want you to just imagine yourself playing cards. And when you are playing cards, you know, in the game that you're playing, you might get dealt a bad hand, in quotes, a bad hand. And a lot of times when people get dealt the hand that they feel is a bad hand that won't set them up for a win, they immediately lose in their mind. And so they all automatically start to think, oh, I'm not going to win this game. I'm just ready for the next round. But I challenge you to change that mindset. I challenge you, even if you get dealt the bad hand, to play that bad hand like it's the hand that you have always wanted because you will never know what can happen. And that bad hand could be the hand that sets you up for the biggest win of your life. And with that, we're out. Thank you for listening to the Corporate Quitters Podcast. If you like us, tell everybody you know. Better yet, head on over to the iTunes store and leave us a five-star review. It only takes a few seconds. I can do it with my eyes closed and both hands tied behind my back. So what are you waiting for? If you want to talk to us, leave us a voice message. You might be featured on the show. Check the link in the show notes. Want to carry us wherever you go? Check out the merch on our work website. 
get your I quit, O quit, or just plain quit stuff there. If you really, really like us, you can become a monthly contributor for less than a cup of coffee. Link is in the show notes. And last but not least, quit those limiting beliefs that are holding you back. And we're out. <laughs>